Welcome to Fintech Insider Interviews. My name is David Breer, and if you've been on Fintech Twitter lately, there is a very good chance that the story we will be discussing today is quite recognizable to you. A few months ago, Pebble, a new company with familiar taglines and promises, caught the attention of many in the fintech world. This included the CEO of A16Z-backed startup Echo, who felt he saw Echo's very own materials and business model reflected back at him. After more digging, he took to Twitter to declare that Pebble engaged in a copy and pasting immaturely and imitating lying and espionage, which is, I mean, that's quite a lot of uh, aspersions to throw out there. Uh, I mean, there's lots of stuff that happens on Twitter, but this one uh, this one really unraveled in that sense. So on today's show, what we're going to be doing, we're going to be speaking to Echo's CEO himself, Andy Bromberg, to discuss the line between copying, imitation, and competitor research. So welcome to FinTech Insider, Andy. That, that There's a lot going on there in that introduction, isn't there? A lot, lot going on. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. No worries at all. I mean, how did this all start then? Like, t- take us back, because I- I've just given the the 20-second version of obviously everything that really sort of un- unfolded. So um, maybe if you first sort of talk about, well, how did you first find out about Pebble? Yeah, sure thing. And it, it is interesting. It does take me back a little bit, because uh, when you all reached out about this, this podcast, uh, we kind of left the issue behind a little bit. You know, these things happen, you move on, you you you, you take business forward. But I do think it's a story worth telling. Uh, and so happy to, to kind of go back into the archives and think about that. We we found out about Pebble uh, a couple of ways. One, investors sent us information about them. So as Pebble was going out and fundraising, uh, they were pitching a lot of investors. We have a lot of great uh, backers at Eco, and we've talked to a lot of people and have relationships with a lot of investors in the space. Uh, and people started saying to us, hey, there's this thing, and it sounds kind of similar to what Eco is doing. Um, and not the first time that's happened. That's that's a pretty normal thing. And so we we got some information there. And then where it really started to solidify was um, our onboarding team at Eco, who onboards our customers one-on-one and brings them onto the platform, started to notice some weird things, different, uh, the name Pebble appearing in the onboarding logs and in sign-up logs and in uh, in our funnel, and then some some direct interactions with the team there, which is which is detailed in the thread. And so it was really the combination of having heard about them from investors originally, but then our team actually seeing the impact of them uh, taking a look at what we were doing from from the inside. Yeah, I mean it's it's fascinating, isn't it? And and we you know we sort of touched on it at this beginning about well. What's the difference between, you know, they, the flattery is, is the most sincerest form of imitation, as they always say uh, in, in that sense. But, I mean, obviously it started to take a, a bit of a, uh, a, a bit of a turn, didn't it, in terms, of, in terms of that? So, I mean, once you sort of started to see a bit of a pattern, what was your, what was your reaction to that? You know, I do think that at some level, copying and taking inspiration, however you want to frame it, uh, is, is part of doing anything. Um, you know, it's not like uh, the expectations that every business is 100% new ideas only and you have to lock yourself in a room and not look at anyone else in the space and pay attention to that. That's, of course, not how things work. And so there's always a matter of, of kind of taking inspiration or, or standing on the shoulders of giants. I think that's a reality of building anything. And even something as simple as, you know, great taglines or words or phrases are often coined by one company and then taken up by others. I think about like gig economy. The concept of gig economy, someone came up with that once. And then, of course, it became definitional for the entire space. And you could say that for any number of phrases. And so I think that's that's natural. At some point for us at Eco with this specific Pebble situation, um, it started to feel like it had crossed a line. And I think one of the most interesting things that we had talked about internally and I still think about is, well, where's that line? 
if if we're saying, of course, taking some inspiration and you know doing all that as part of running a business, and that's that's a reality. You're in a competitive landscape, and you need to you know look at what other people are doing and try and match and improve what they're doing. But there's a line that can be crossed. Where where is that line? And I don't know that I have a a strict definition for it. Where I said suddenly, hey, we need to take some action here, um, unlike before. But at some point between them lying to us directly in direct interactions with us, between the literal copy and pasting, that for me crossed a line of decorum and and you know morals in the space, and that's where we then decided to go and go and take some action. Yeah, and when you said about um, you sort of say about you know lying directly there, I mean there was sort of allegations of um, you know the CEO and the CTO impersonating Y Combinator investors to get access to your waitlist. I mean that's a that's a a line that has been crossed at that sense in terms of a impersonation of other people because obviously yeah. I mean it, as as building out a startup, Y Combinator brings a, a real credence to it. So you're always gonna you know, roll out the red carpet to a certain degree in that sense. So talk us through what happened there then. Yeah, exactly. So, so we, um, we have quite a detailed funnel at eco that, uh, users go through so that we can determine, um, their suitability for using eco and also, uh, you know, collect some information that will help us help them make the best decisions. Um, and as part of what we do, I alluded to this earlier, eco onboards, every customer one-on-one, which is pretty abnormal. So we actually talk to every single user as they're signing up for Econ. We can talk about why we do that and, and the rationale for that. Um, but setting that aside for a minute, uh, that is something we do. And so uh, we have both this kind of really rich data from our funnel on each person signing up. And then we have a direct interaction with each customer as they, as they sign up. Um, and so in our funnel, we saw, and we have evidence linking these, these records, um, yeah, impersonation of other people that weren't them being submitted by that. Now, there's an outside chance in the interest of total transparency here that it was, in fact, those Y Combinator partners submitting those things. I think I think that's basically not, I don't think that's the case. I would It would be such a stretch to imagine that. We don't have conclusive evidence that it wasn't that, but I don't think it was. And so I think it was them. And so, you know, that was something that started to happen. And then in our onboarding session with uh, one of the Pebble co-founders, um, he dug really deeply into trying to understand eco and how it works and said he wanted a job at eco and all of these things. Um, and so that too, for us, that just felt like that crossed some sort of moral line of, of how to, how to deal with other companies. Yeah. Well, as you say, that sort of turns into, I mean, there's two funnels that really matter at your business, right? There's the sales funnel and there's the talent funnel. And actually if they're essentially is attempting to infiltrate both of those things in a, you know, this is that, that line is very much crossed. It is a, it is an espionage thing at that point, rather than it being some, uh, you know, uh, uh, some idealistic sort of flirting of, uh, you know, flattery of the things that you've done. So, so obviously, I mean, you, you guys got to this situation, you, you know, with what you were doing, you knew that there was something going on. What, why did you decide to sort of turn to, to Twitter or to social as the the way to kind of push back on this because I, I guess you know fintech fintech globally is such a a community driven thing and I guess in this instance you you sort of this isn't just something that will affect you this is something that will affect the whole community in that sense right I think that's right yeah it was it was frankly a really tough decision to go public with it because again from our perspective we were just building our business we knew there were going to be copycats of our business we think we're doing something really compelling and 
that's fine. And we just keep building. And, you know, the, the way to win is just to out execute. And it, we didn't, we generally don't feel the need to respond about things. But in this case, we, we did it for two reasons, really. One of them was, from my perspective, this crossed that kind of hazy moral line enough that I felt the need as a community member in this space to hold them accountable and try and stop them from doing more things like this in the future because their actions, if they were to take what I see as continued, you know, bad moral actions, those could actually filter back and impact us. And if they're not the type of people that can make responsible decisions uh, about how to run a business, they're operating in the same space as us. They're operating, you know, an identical business to us. So certainly in the same space. Uh, and that's really scary. And, you know, so holding people accountable for that, I think, is, is really important. Um, and we thought the right way to do that wasn't to send over some aggressive legal demand letter, but just to say to the world, hey, listen, this is what happened. This is our perspective on it. You be the judge. Yeah. Every individual person who read that thread was the judge of the case themselves. So that was one reason was to hold them accountable in a space that that we care a lot about and want to make sure that they're all good actors in. Uh, the other The other big rationale was that we really wanted to put a stake in the ground for what was ours. So we, you know, we know, and if you look in the Wayback Machine, archive.org, you can see that Eco did all of these things before they did. At the same time, people don't know that necessarily. And we wanted to put a stake in the ground and say, hey, everyone, these great ideas, these are ours. And hopefully, if you see that, you believe that Eco will continue to come up with great ideas. And that if they saw those great ideas on another company's website and they thought that they were original there, then they might have a stronger affinity to, to that company. Um, and so it's also just a matter of putting a stake in the ground and saying, this stuff is ours. We came up with it. Other people may copy it. That's their prerogative. They can do that. But we want to make clear that those ideas came from us and there's more coming where those came from. Yeah. I mean, that must have been, um, I can't imagine the, the process you must have gone through internally with like legal counsel and all different things, like because pressing that button was a, a real commitment, wasn't it? Because once it's out there, it's out there. As you say, sending a uh, you know a cease and desist in that sense from a legal perspective, or you know his infringement of blah 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 blah. Like the difficulty with all of those things in that sense is it's not about proving wrongdoing; it's about proving material loss in that sense in terms of where they're where they're going. So you know from a legal sense, it's actually the recourse in the system is is pretty poor, I think, for companies and, and particularly for, for for people like yourself or or us or you know anybody in the fintech ecosystem. It's like you put your blood, sweat, tears into making a business, you will it into existence and you work so hard to make it successful. For somebody to come along and copy the things that you do, that's that's hard, isn't it? But I, I guess to your to your point, Andy, the the silver lining there is like actually you know, you guys came up with some amazing ideas. You're supporting customers in such an amazing way. Uh, it's very difficult to to emulate the the ideation that goes around that to continue that journey. You know, they can copy where you are, but they can't copy where you're going to get to, right? In that sense, and and I think you you did the right thing by confronting it publicly because essentially the goodwill of the community, everything that goes with that, really sort of carries it forwards. But I mean, I mean, how much do you think though? The um, and obviously, you know, Pebbles are a, a you know well capitalized organization but this isn't the only, only organization that we've seen act in this way in in the market i mean how much do you think the the investors behind these types of organizations have a, a kind of more of a moral obligation in that sense to to be seen to be doing the right thing in the community it's a really interesting question i 
I really don't put much of, of any of the issue on the investors in this case. I think it was, I think it sits squarely with, with the team operating the business. I do think investors have a moral obligation if they see this happening to call it out. But I think it's unreasonable to demand that investors know every single thing that's happening in the industry and that they're able to spot copying a mile away. I actually think in some sense, the investors here in, in this company, they got duped, right? They got they got got by someone who was copying another another business. And I feel bad for for them. So, you know, do I wish that they had figured it out and noticed and known and, you know, tried to encourage the the founders to pump the brakes and not not do this. Of course, that would have made everything much easier. And I think if they had known, I would hope that they would have done that. But assuming that they didn't and assuming that they just were unaware, I think we have to put the onus on founders here and not put it on on investors, especially at this stage. And I guess one last thought on that is that I think that's especially true at the really early stage. As you get later and later stage, I think it becomes more this becomes more and more obvious when when this sort of thing happens and investors could be more reasonably expected to know what was going on. But we're talking about a company that was in Y Combinator with hundreds of other companies in the batch. Investors are looking at all of these companies and they see a bunch of really promising ideas here and they say, this sounds great. We want to back this this company that has these ideas. I can't expect them to go and do a week's worth of you know, deep, full-time committed diligence on every competitor in the market and identify these these potential potential issues. Yeah, I, I think I I, uh, I think you're being very gracious in that sense. Uh, I, I personally, I think I'd be a little bit. Uh, I mean, plagiarism is plagiarism, right? Actually, it's something that's plagued uh, the academic sense for a very long time, and there are ways now of automating and ma- making that a, a simple process for an organization. You know, they've got backers and investors like Y Combinator for an organization of that scale, and I think for for me, it's not a. Um, uh, you know, a, a faceless PE company. This is a, you know, a, a, a well-moraled uh, company who has a great reputation in that sense. So I think when you have a really good reputation in the community, you've got to probably work a little bit harder than everybody else to manage that and maintain it in that sense. So, so yeah, I think you're, I think you're being very gracious, but uh, I know what I'd, if I was in your boots, I know, uh, I know I'd be, uh, I'd be a little bit less gracious in that sense. So, so what, what happened then? What happened when you, you pressed send, it all hit Twitter, like, you know, it went, you know, big in terms of people picking up and the conversations that went around, like how, how was, how, what was the reaction and, and how did, how did Pebble come back to you as well? Yeah, well, the, the community response was really amazing, better than I could have ever hoped for and was incredible fuel for not just me, but the entire eco team. People were reaching out to us nonstop, publicly and privately, expressing not only uh, sympathy for the situation we were in, but just support of eco and saying, we know you all have discovered you're building something amazing, go build it. And so the community really came out in force um, and uh, and supported us, which was a really amazing feeling and kind of byproduct and silver lining of this whole, this whole situation. Alongside that, reporters started to reach out to me and want to cover the story and talk about what had happened. Um, and we spent some time doing, doing that. And uh, some Pebbles investors reached out you know, and I had conversations with some of the investors and, and then the Pebble team reached out and I had, I had put in the thread at the end that here's my email. If, you know, you Pebble founders want to reach out, please feel free. And they, they did reach out and we had a number of conversations over the course of the next, the next week, uh, after that, after the episode. And that was, that was kind of, it was, it was a lot of effort and time for a couple of days. And then as with most of these things, it kind of 
simmer down and we're able to to move past it and, and get back to to what we do best it's um it's hard isn't it i mean this is um this is not where you started the business right actually you started the business to to do something really difficult uh, and actually it's a it's a weird distraction when you get dragged into these things. I've said to to people before, it's like there's a, a there's sort of three things that I'll I'll never sort of scrimp on eleven uh, FS. It's the uh, the drinks fridge, uh, the the swag budget, and the legal team. Because essentially, having a great legal team in a startup is is so important, isn't it? But I, I noticed actually when you look at the uh, the articles that I saw, you know, the conversation you had, um, you know, places like TechCrunch covered it and different senses. But you sort of said you've got no intent on taking any sort of further legal action against them in that sense. Is that is that still the case in, in that? Because I, I guess, you know, really you've got a uh, you've got a watching brief there really now and, and almost you've shots have been fired. Like actually I think you've probably had the impact that you wanted, which is, you know, you can stop talking to people like me and get on with your job essentially. Yeah, the the um we 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 still have no plans to pursue any legal action right now, at least at this time. We're just we're focused on moving forward. We think it was, like I said earlier, it was really important for us to hold them accountable as potentially problematic actors in the space and to put a stake in the ground for what we think is ours. We accomplished both of those goals in spades, and I'm really happy with how we managed to hit those. And I, I don't I don't really care about whether or not they are around in some sense or another. I don't feel the need to go and pursue aggressive legal action to try and destroy their business or something. I, I I think everyone deserves to build the business they want to build and they just have to be held accountable for their decisions in, in doing so. And so, yeah, I, at this point, there's no no plans to pursue anything further there. Very good. So so what's next for, for Eco then? You say, uh, I mean, obviously, probably handing out your product roadmap at this time on our podcast, not a good idea. Just just saying that in terms of everything that you know that's going on. So don't do that. I wouldn't encourage it. But but what's what's next? What does the the future hold? What, what next success are you aiming at? Yeah, well... I, I appreciate you saying that, although I will say we, we tend to be pretty open about these things because our view is that what we're trying to build here is so hard that all that matters is execution. And everyone's going to hear about the ideas. They're going to see the ideas. We're going to launch all these features. And all that matters is, is how we execute. So what we're doing now, Eco seeking to become and be an all-in-one simple balance for your entire financial life, saving, sending, spending, making money all in one place. And we, we offer a lot of that right now. So today you can you can save in the Eco app. You can spend at major merchants. We've got uh, cards. You can spend anywhere. We've got a bill pay feature. So we've got a pretty large part of your financial life, but there's much more that we could do. And that includes things like investing and budgeting and peer-to-peer and many different features. And we want to build all of that into one really simple place that makes it easy to manage your money without any headache. And then on top of that, we're always building towards what we call the the eco open rewards system. And we're experimenting with this concept of eco points, uh, which we intend to become the world's first open rewards currency. So a rewards currency that's not trapped within a single entity's walled garden, but is actually usable anywhere and acceptable anywhere. Um, and that's something, something we're working on as well. So over the next year or two, the biggest focus for us is really completing that promise of being an all-in-one balance for your entire financial life, which we're, we're pretty good right now, but we're not all the way there. And then building out this open reward system and uh, and beginning to support more and more activity there. That's um that's fan- f- really fascinating. I mean, we we sort of say at 11FS, there's 
uh, sort of DOM analog products, and then there's intelligent digital services. And and what you're building is a uh, a complex financial system. It's not a you know a current account and a savings account and investment. You know those things orchestrate the ability to to solve a need. But actually, it's how that that sort of ecosystem of them that sits together actually really solves a problem. We we've done. Um, jobs to be done frameworks all over the world. And actually the difference between, you know, features and feelings is those services. So uh, I, I can see why somebody wanted to come and emulate you. I hundred percent back that this is the future of financial services and in, in the way in which that works, because actually you, you make customers lives easier, you know, and fundamentally, if you do that, they can worry a little bit less about financial services and a, a little bit about the, more about the stuff that, uh, that they need to. And on that note, I means you can actually focus a little bit more on the business now that this is all over and uh, a little bit less about all the legal stuff that uh, that happened. But uh, um, we're coming to the end of the show now. It's been a, a fascinating story, like really grateful for you to come and um, spend some time. We always like to ask this of, of what would be the the advice that you would give to to your younger self or I mean, even at the beginning of this journey, like how, how long ago did you found the company, Andy? Uh, Eco was founded about four years ago. Yeah. So, I mean, even four years ago, like the lessons you've learned, the things you've done. So, you know, what would be the day one you founded the company again? What would be the 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 the, the real advice you would give to yourself to, to get to where you've got to? I think one thing would be obviously shortcutting a lot of the product experimentation we did along the way to get to this extremely compelling uh, product vision that we have now. But okay, on a more useful level for for. Uh, for people that might be in a similar position starting their own company. I think it cannot be said enough. It is a total cliche and it sounds extremely trite, but all that matters is the team. And if you're able to assemble the best possible team around you to build what you're seeking to build, that is the thing that solves the problems. Your own brain, no matter how smart you are, you can solve some of them. You'll contribute to some of them. You'll make a really big difference. You'll have some great ideas. That's all great. But at the end of the day, what if you're building something ambitious, it is so much bigger than any one person can possibly manage in a in, in kind of a, a single mind. And so the team is really all that matters. And that gets bandied about a lot. People say that all the time. Team matters more than anything. Have a team of eight players. Um, but I just really think I can't reinforce it enough. And that's the first thing I would say to you know, a younger Andy is do not compromise on that ever. It, it, it's funny. I think when before you've started a business and scaled the business, all of those little quotes, you know, like the like, say, uh, you know, the um, ideas are easy. Execution is everything. It's like, oh, that's nice. That'll make a nice T-shirt or a sticker or whatever type thing. But when you're in the mix and the, you know, the muck and the mire of building out a business, to your point, like talent is fundamentally everything. And actually, it's the thing that helps you as, you know, in your position uh, disseminate decision making to other people in that sense, which, as you say, uh, you know the, the 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 CEO, the you know the person at the front of the ship. You do a lot, but you you don't do everything. And actually, you've got to you've got to find those places you can let go of responsibility. And that you know really is a is a trust based thing. And that trust comes with talent. So it's a yeah, it is a it's a constant journey. It really is. In, in my experience, it's like you know that 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 talent magnet that you've got to have to really make the business that you, all you want it 
you're never done with that. So, uh, but actually, I think a, a big part of that is having a, a brand that people believe in. And actually, the reaction that you've had from a community perspective with everything that's happened, I think it probably won't have done you any harm with regards to what you stand for and also the applications through that you're seeing from a talent perspective. So, uh, yeah, I think you, you manage this incredibly well. So well done on everything on that sense. But uh, sadly, we're going to have to wrap up, I'm afraid. So um, thank you so much, Andy, for, for, for joining us. Where can people learn a little bit more about, about you and everything that you do? Yeah. Uh, easiest place is eco.com. Eco.com is, is easiest. You can check out the Twitter thread that we're talking about here and anything else um, at Andy underscore Bromberg. Um, but eco.com is, is where to go for all the, the latest and greatest from what we're building. Very, very good. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, head over to pretty much every social media channel at this stage. Just search for Fintech Insider or 11FS. Uh, or if you want to, email us on podcasts at 11FS.com. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Goodbye. Thank you.